Rugby is a brutal and violent sport and women should not relish its physical challenge. If you, like me, are tired of hearing such stereotypes, you will thoroughly appreciate how Flo Williams has broken this myth. In this three-part episode, Flo shares in part one how she progressed from school rugby to playing for the Welsh national team, despite the many challenges she faced. In part two, we discuss the difference in privilege between the male game and the female game. And in part three, you'll hear about how Flo is breaking the wheel of power and privilege in the sport of rugby and what you can do to help balance the scales. Welcome to the Privilege Eruption podcast, a podcast by belonging pioneers and Culture Lab consultancy about the questions and ideas around the hidden barriers to achieving our DEI goals. This is where we erupt the constraining impact of privilege and we explore new possibilities in the context of shared power and purpose. This is where we explore and test out ideas with amazing guests like Flo who have done or are doing the work. If you are interested in balancing the scales, please do join us in taking the Privilege Conundrum Research Survey. It will help us to build the body of knowledge around what impact privilege is having in the workplace and what we can do to move beyond that to balance the scales. Now, let me tell you about Flo. Flo Williams is a Welsh international with her international cap meaning a lot to her and her family with her father being born in Merthyr Tydfil. Having started playing rugby as a junior in Aylesford, Williams progressed through and played for their first team before playing for Loughborough Lightning in the first season of the Premier 15s. Whilst at Wasps, Williams cemented herself as one of the best kickers in the league. Williams works as a women's sports lead for sports marketing agency Matter, where she helped create the recent brand identity for the Red Roses, as well as the new brand identity for Premiership Women's Rugby. I know you're going to enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Privilege Eruption podcast with me, Ishreen Bradley, Chief Inspiration Officer at Belonging Pioneers. And me, Kami Nuttall, founder of Culture Lab Consultancy. Privilege is a conundrum that dilutes the culture of fairness at work. And as a leader, you recognize that your organization has more to do. You want to create success through connection and belonging, and you're unsure about how to make it happen. Now, the Privilege Eruption podcast is where you have the opportunity to evolve breakthrough thinking about the impact of power, privilege and purpose and how that shows up at work. And in these podcasts, you will gain the courage and confidence to realise a culture of inclusion for all. So hello, everyone. Welcome. I'm delighted that we have Flo Williams as my guest here on the podcast. And we're looking at the conversation of breaking the wheel of power and privilege in sport. So Flo is not only the daughter of a very good friend of mine, and I start with that, Uh, She is an amazing woman. She's advocating for breaking the wheel of power and privilege in sport. And she's also working to promote underrepresented groups through her PR firm where she works. And um, the most interesting thing about Flo that I didn't know until Roger told me is that she plays rugby. And she plays rugby for Saracens, which is an amazing rugby club. And she also plays number 10 for Wales. So Flo, welcome. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this podcast with me. I'm delighted 
um, to have this conversation with you. I'm very conscious that gender plays such a big role in sport. Um, you know, I just assumed everyone would be so excited that England made it to the finals of the World Cup in football and just assumed my whole family, especially the men who are just football mad, would be like, yeah, we're going to watch it because we're in the final. And they were just lukewarm about it. They were like, yeah, and it's not the same game. And I'm like, no, it is. A, it is Whether it's the same game or not, if England made it to the finals in any sport with men, you would be there watching it. So how come you're not there watching this? And that's what made me really want to talk about this with you on the podcast. Yeah, I think it's that um, unfortunate story that even even when female athletes do reach the pinnacle of their sport it's still they're seen as women first it's that the elephant in the room becomes more relevant that actually we're seen as sort of guests in the house of sport rather than just great athletes and people are quick to judge on gender or um, beliefs or sexuality or race before they're quick to judge on ability and I think if someone's watching the game and they say oh that was a bad tackle or a poor pass or a a poor skill execution I'm absolutely fine with that that that's how you critique sport and we would expect that in men's sport equally as well but when it's suddenly so much about oh I'm not going to watch and the the only reason that you can you can see that they're not going to watch is because they're women suddenly I'm like that's a wider societal issue that not only athletes have to like carry the strain of like playing for your country or playing at a high level, but you also have to then represent an entire gender and like societal issue as well. Yeah, that's not on really, is it? No, it's not great. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're looking at breaking the wheel of power and privilege. And I'd love to explore with you what that looks like in real life, like on the ground for you. Um, I think um, playing a sport and and most sports are sort of male dominated um it's just the consideration and the time and the energy that you spend doing so much more that's outside of just performing in your sport um so you're having to balance careers um and family life and trying to get the bare minimum in terms of kit or facility or respect you're not just running out and being praised for being a rugby player. You're having to fight all of these other battles as well. And I often say the people who make it to the top of their game in in rugby and football are not necessarily the best rugby players or footballers. Um, it's the people who can jump the most hurdles and overcome the most barriers and have the most resilience towards being in an atmosphere that doesn't necessarily celebrate them so much, yeah. um, which is such a shame because you have so many naturally talented athletes. but by the time you get to 14 or 15 and you're playing sport in a club that tells you you have to play on the on the back pitch and you're forever being a recruitment officer as well as a player because you're trying to get more people to come because they don't put it on in schools or you're wearing kit that doesn't quite fit you in the way that you'd like to fit or people go watch your male counterparts but then they don't go watch your team play. At some point you go, you know what, I actually, why, why am I spending my time doing this? Um, like you really, really have to love it. Um, and I think 
it's all of these other things that female athletes have to deal with outside of just turning up and having fun and playing their sport and being celebrated for it. And even as young as the age of nine or 10, the girls are being told, oh, you're not in the under 10s, you're in the girls section. And it's always, you're seen as like other, it's the, the, the boys team is the default and you're other. Um, and I think that's something that you end, it like stays with them for a long time and it's your first experience. That's really tough, isn't it? So how does that impact somebody who keeps going, that early experience? How does that impact somebody who manages to jump through those hoops and keeps going? How does that impact you? Well, I think there's um, there are so many female athletes who become activists and role models, and sometimes it's assumed, which is also like some people just want to be athletes. Yeah. Um, and it shouldn't be assumed that you then can talk about equality in sport and equal rights and that you do become this sort of voice um, for everyone in your gender, which is also which is tough to carry. But if you have overcome all of these hurdles to get to the elite level of your game, yeah. often you're you're quite strong willed against it and you're able to talk about it. So it kind of breeds these like mini activists and role models within the sport because you would have experienced so much sort of prejudice against you and you would have to sort of deal with the fact that the same person playing at the same level as you is getting paid a full-time wage and you're not and you have to balance so many other things etc um so it's it's breeding this lived experience that you kind of want to change it um and there's so many people who are playing at the highest level now who are actively working to change the opportunities for younger people in their sport, which in itself is like a, a burden on athletes because they, when they should just be considering one thing, they don't, they don't have to do all of that, but because you've experienced so much of it, it's really tough to see it carry on, seeing that cycle carry on and then not do anything about it. Yeah, no, I get that. Do you know what? You're kind of, as you speak, you're kind of reminding me of women who entered the corporate world in the 70s and had to really fight in order to progress. Yeah. And all those barriers. Mm. And then, and then, you know, they're, they're kind of the generation before me. They're what were called the baby boomers. Mm-hmm. And they're just seen as really tough women and women who are like men and, you know, um, and they just got a bad reputation. Uh, you know, they just got a bad name, like people to avoid. Yeah, and it's it's tough because I think the more you call things out in sport, especially that um, that have led to this sort of like inequality and things that aren't aren't fair, really, you get labelled as like oh, always complaining, and it's kind of, and it is if, even when you are trying to battle these things. Sometimes it, I even feel like God, like this is hard work. Like there's always something that's frustrating, and sometimes it is like. Um, I'm not no draining to be like continuously like fighting this and fighting that. Like, why can't we just be celebrating? But equally, like, it's hard when there's not loads to celebrate. And we are having seeing like great strides in the elite level of sport and it's on TV and people are getting paid more and like the respect is increasing. But you sort of get in that bubble and you think, oh, everything is great. And then you go and speak to some girls playing grassroots rugby at a local rugby club and 
and they're saying, oh, yeah, we're not allowed in the changing rooms. Or, But when we play our games, the kitchen staff go home so we don't actually get fed after our games. And you're just like, how is this still happening? Like, that's what I was experiencing 20 years ago. Yeah. And, and it's still it's still happening and it's like it's not it's obviously not reflective of how the the elite level of the game has increased and it ends up breeding like these yeah as you say these really tough women who can't kind of get labeled as bossy or like you're always complaining you're never happy you're looking for the negative but it's kind of like you have to point out how bad it is and you have to say it very loudly because a people who were not promoting a, a, an equal environment need to need to be embarrassed to be honest they need to be called out and the people who experience it need to know that this isn't normal and you shouldn't be okay with being treated like this yeah um and that's what's that's why I think we continue to try and promote change yeah no it's it's essential I mean um I I was surprised when I came to watch you play and there was like one stand reserved and the other three stands were clear. Yeah, yeah. And like, wow, how is that? And so- well, it's, it's, it's obviously, it's, it's a fantastic venue to come and watch women's sport. And it's great that Saracens have had the, the women playing at the main stadium for um, nearly eight or nine years, like a really long time. So like they've never sort of had them on a, a, a side pitch. Like it's always been the main event. But unfortunately, like the perception of, women playing rugby or playing sport yeah. is still quite low even yeah. though you can take your entire family out and go to a, a stadium and watch elite level sport for what like five or six pounds each like you'd think that's it should be packed out every week but people still just don't see that as a a, a good use of their disposable time on a weekend um which is is such a shame because it's so inspiring for for so many people to be able to go and watch it's amazing to watch there's, there's a job to do inside of the sports structure but there's also a job to do with the fans yeah it's it, well yeah it's a it's a, it's definitely a societal perception yeah. um that i mean you know, i even get asked when you say you play rugby they're like oh full contact or do this i didn't realize women play rugby or like what do you do with your boobs or something and you're like what are these questions like it's it's crazy like I, I don't quite get it but I realize that I live even though where I am in my sport I'm in like a lack of privilege being a woman in the sport but I myself am privileged within my circle that I'm surrounded by people who celebrate women in sport so I don't necessarily I don't see it as a negative thing I see it as a great thing like I think it's brilliant that I've had the opportunity to play sport my whole life and managed to play to quite a high level but when you step outside of that, not, not other women have been told, don't be a, don't be a boy, like do feminine things. Like even yesterday, um, an interview from the captain of the men's Portugal rugby team, they asked him, would you let your daughter play rugby? And he was like, no, because it, it damages your body. And I'm like, even that's someone who plays the sport. And even he can't say that he would want his own daughter to play. Um, so it's, you're still battling against all of these yeah, prejudice and, and ideas that women shouldn't do sport and they definitely shouldn't be doing a really masculine and physical sport like rugby. So disappointing. Flo, do you know what I think would be great? I'd love to know your story. So you had 
you would have had to deal with these challenges. So, you know, how did you get into rugby and how did you progress and how do you end up where you are now? Like that, I think that would be really interesting for our audience. Um, well, luckily for me, um, my parents both allowed me to and wanted me to do as much sport and activity as possible. And I think they got to a point after introducing me that it was trying to stop me doing as much as I could because I wanted to do loads. And with my dad being Welsh, it was kind of like the law that rugby was always going to be the main one in the house, which was absolutely fine by me. Um, but I went down to um, my local rugby club and I was the only girl playing in the team for three or four years. And obviously as like an eight or nine year old wow. girl, a lot of girls might not feel comfortable in that atmosphere, but I kind of was like, oh, I'm the only one. Like it for me, it was quite, it was seen as a positive thing, but you can see how that would not be seen as a positive thing for, for other young girls, especially as you get a bit older as well. Um, and then, me of, um, sorry to interrupt you. It reminds um, me of I did engineering. Oh, yeah. I've been the only, been yeah, the only been one, yeah. One of the yeah. only girls in the room. You get, you get treated differently, right? Yeah. And I, I was lucky because I got treated differently, but it was in like a great way that like they all celebrated me and stuff. So I was very lucky um, in that respect that I had like great allies around me, even at that age. Um, but then when I moved into the girls team, as I got a bit older, we were sort of, I went from a team that would have like 20, 30 players at training all the time. It was a great environment for me to get better, better to a team that struggled to fill out 15 players for a team. And the, the training quality like actually did go down because there was less people there because there were less girls who wanted to play rugby. So immediately, instead of just, if I if I was a boy, I would have just gone through the age groups. I would have played rugby in school. All of my friends would have played. It would have been celebrated. Um, being a rugby player is quite a cool, like macho thing to do as a boy. As a girl, it was kind of like, oh, you're that rugby girl. Like in, I went to an all girls school. No one played rugby in my school. Barely anyone really played sport to be honest there was maybe a couple of footballers but I'm not joking when I say I could name it on on one hand how many people I knew in my school that played sport so it was kind of like I was trying to already like balance these two lives that didn't really complement each other um and it wasn't necessarily seen as a positive thing that I was playing sport. And that could have been a time that I would have dropped out because you're struggling to get numbers at training. You're going to school and it's, oh, I can't meet up this weekend because I've got a rugby game or uh, I can't do this time for homework because I'm going to go to training or I want to do extra stuff um, in PE or um, extra gym or whatever. And they don't allow for that. Um, Whereas other schools for boys would have like rugby programs within it. So you already are trying to like standing out from the group which is is tough for a lot of people especially girls growing up when they want to everyone comes to fit in um i'm guessing pe and gym must have been quite dull for you because probably a lot of the work that was being done was a bit pedestrian for your level yeah um, yeah i'm not gonna lie like when i was playing pe at school well there were so many times where i'd be sent off the court or the pitch or whatever it was because i was too rough or It'd be like, oh, no, you can't do this. And if I wanted to compete in multiple events on sports day, they were like, no, you can't. And obviously everyone on my team would, would want me to because I'm one of the more athletic people. Um, and I don't mean that in a big-headed way, but when people are 
throwing a javelin and we're talking like minus numbers, then it's kind of easily stuck in the, in the ground, you know. Um, it was it was just uh, instead of an opportunity for me to thrive, it was kind of like let everybody else have a go. This isn't academics. This is just participation. Whereas for me, it was about being the best, and it's not always seen as that. Mm-hmm. So you got through school. How did you? How did your rugby work outside of school then? How did you manage to progress to where you are now? Well, um, luckily, my parents drove me everywhere under the sun um, for whatever I needed to be at. And uh, they really enjoyed watching me play um, and supporting that. And I was very lucky in that sense that because girls rugby was is sparse, it's not just go to your local club and that's kind of everything that you'll need within like a few mile radius because there are less clubs in the area you're traveling further for games so there'd be a lot of girls who even though going to a local rugby club is more accessible than having to be part of an academy or something to progress you still have to be able to travel so in that sense I had privilege within an underprivileged group because I was able to go to all of um, the games I needed to go to or trials or whatever it was um so being able to do that alongside school definitely meant that I didn't probably socialise as much as other people who were like 16, 17 um, at the time because I was spending more time doing rugby. But for me, rugby was my social group as well. Um, so I just started balancing those two aspects of my life. And even now when I am I have a career and I have rugby, it's still you're balancing stuff, yeah. um, which is challenging. but equally rewarding at the same time if you get the, the best out of both of it and after school I went to um, Loughborough University which I think was the possibly the first time the balancing became quite complementary because Loughborough obviously is an educational facility but it's massively into its sport so it was the first time I was somewhere where they wanted you to succeed in your career but also in sport um, and it was beneficial for sport to be part of that so that as an experience definitely drove me forward into more of an elite space because you're surrounded by ridiculously talented athletes all the time but then you're also driven to do really well academically as well brilliant and how did you get from university to playing at the level you're playing at now so how did you get how did you get spotted how did you get into like um I think what's more accessible with with women's sport because in a in a in a sort of weirdly ironic way men's rugby to do well you have to be playing at a, be playing at club level then be sort of seen by scouts potentially going and playing rugby at a school that has a rugby um, program and might have associations with academies or premiership clubs. And those schools are more often than not private schools or they're fee-paying school in some in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. And once you go through um, that sort of rugby academy, you're almost living as a full-time rugby player when you're at schools from the age of like 15 to 17, 18. You can go straight into an academy in a professional elite setup, and yeah. you're 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 far ahead of the pack who would have only played grassroots club rugby. Um that obviously is very expensive route um, and it's quite 
difficult to get there. It's not open to everybody. Um, it's often sort of middle up class um, groups are exposed to those environments. Whereas in women's rugby, it's sort of like you play at your local club and you might play county. Um, and none of this is like fee paying. It doesn't matter what school you go to because everyone does their rugby outside of school. Um, and then as you play through the different age groups and the different representational levels, um, you can get invited to train with clubs who might be playing at a higher standard and you go along with train with them. You might get signed by a club there and yeah. it sort of progresses quite quite naturally. And it, there's not too many like, oh, this was the moment or this person spotted me. It's sort of like as you as you play through the age groups, you naturally get invited maybe to to the next level or to another um to another team that are playing at a higher level and I was playing premiership rugby from the age of 18 luckily there was a premiership club in my area and then there was also um a premiership club near Loughborough Litchfield where I was um at university and once you're sort of on the circuit at the elite level um, you sort of just move between clubs depending on where you're living oh lovely and how did you get chosen to play for Wales uh, well, uh, being in camp for about two and a half years and training with them for about two and a half years, um, I finally got an opportunity a couple of years ago um, to represent Wales, which was obviously a, a massive uh, honour for me, having supported Wales my whole life. Dad being very proudly Welsh. Um, I did feel slightly um, awkward having this accent in a Welsh camp, but I definitely I have been sort of Wales through and through my whole life. and wanted to uh was was very happy when I managed to finally tick that off I mean only the once but um it still counts I guess yeah and and there may be other opportunities right mm. you never know you never know what the future holds there you go thank you Flo I think that's really important for our listeners to understand the journey you went through and why you chose rugby and and the challenges you face, which it sounds like more to do with the society around you rather than the sport itself when it comes to the female side of it. But then again, on the on the other hand, the female side of the sport is treated as other to the main, what they call the main men's sport. Yeah. It's just assumed, you know, like it's a default in everybody's mind. As soon as you say rugby, you assume the men's team. As soon as you say England, you think the men's team. As soon as you say World Cup, you assume the men's World Cup. Like it's tough at the moment. Like even the most recent World Cup that's happened, there's lots of stats that have come out. People said, oh, this is the first player ever to play in four World Cup finals. It's like, well, no, it's the first male player ever. And every time people get this wrong, it just categorizes and reinforces them as like, this is the main thing. And the women are the add-on, yeah. um, and it's it, that at the elite level that trickles down to a, a grassroots level. When you're playing at your local club and they don't put you on the main pitch, or you're playing later on on a Sunday, or you're not getting kit that fits you, or you're having to re- try and recruit people because you haven't got enough people to play. It you'd all every time it reinforces this is not the norm. Yeah, so that's really where you see male privilege in sport isn't it yeah I mean imagine I can't I, I can't imagine what it's like to just play a sport and just think about how well I'm going to play and how I'm going to get better and how I'm gonna recover and how 
this sport is my career and being proud and like celebrating it like I've taught myself to to be to be proud of it but it's still you you come back to you come down to earth with a bang when you play a game on the weekend and then you're getting up and going to work and then like life goes on very much in another world straight afterwards whereas the guys would be going back into their club and thinking about the game or they'd be recovering or they wouldn't be worrying about how they've got to earn money as well as do their sport you know like they just worry about that one thing and young girls wouldn't have to deal with people going oh rugby like why are you why are you playing that you know like you don't have to become this activist as well it's going to sound like a bit of a dumb question but I don't know maybe our listeners don't know either either <clears throat> so the male game is definitely professional and they're paid a salary plus yeah it's a bit yeah salary and then individual players can get sponsorship as well yeah and then the female game is that also considered professional uh well it's funny because people say you'll see playing in the premiership and go oh you're a professional rugby player um and it's not you're an elite rugby player, but not everybody's professional because I think by the term professional, you mean it's your profession, which means you're paid for it. It's your Saturn, it's your you earn money. Um, and if you are a contracted England player, Wales player, Scotland player, or Ireland player, so internationally contracted, um, it is your career and it is your salaried. And like, and some of that salary has been been increased in recent years so that they're, they're earning like a good living but that is very very recent um but equally it's not particularly secure because contracts are often one year two years like they're quite short contracts so if you have a career that you've built up your whole life and then you're offered a contract you kind of have to stop doing that some people end up taking pay cuts to then play their sport um full time and that might only be for one year. You don't know how long you're going to be in that position for. Um, and then outside of international contracts, if you're just playing for your club, you're, the, the contracts vary, but we're talking sort of pocket money kind of amounts. You know, like you might be on a, a match fee or you might be on a, um, a retainer, but we're talking like less, less than £10,000 a year um and ten thousand pounds a year for a non-international club player is a lot so realistically it's probably less than less than five thousand pounds a year so it's no it goes nowhere near to being a career can't can't really live on that are there any um organizations that are sponsoring women in rugby um there are individual athletes who have sponsorships um and recently the job i did with matter we created a campaign with clinique and international player holly Hitchison, um and they did a, a partnership with her for her to represent their brand um in a sort of like in a commercially um expected way that you would see most most partnerships work but it's not necessarily organizations who are sponsoring sort of female players as a group um as such each of the clubs obviously look after players the best way that they can but outside of what the the, the normal sort of sponsorships that you might expect from them might get a, a kit deal or um a deal for equipment or something like that like 
it, they're, the, they're the main things that are sort of um, floating around at the moment, but they're mainly available for the elite players who are probably already having a salary from the sport as well, already. Okay. All right. So it's, it sounds a little bit like, you know, my dad used to play Sunday cricket and travel around, but it was all at his own cost. It sounds a little mm-hmm. like that almost if you even... Well, it is... The, 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 us as players are supported by our club. So they, they pay for everything that we can eat. So we're, I'm not at a lot, at an expense to play um, sport, apart from the expense it pushes on my life that I don't work five days a week. I work four days a week because I need to make time for rugby. So I take a 20% pay cut in my job so that I can do rugby, which obviously, doesn't fulfill that 20%. So it's, yeah, it's, um, you, you're working at a, a, a loss potentially in that sense, but we don't have to, to pay anything to play, which is obviously great. But if I was me at Saracens in the, in the male counterpart, yes. I would obviously be paid enough to live off of this. So I think that's the, that's the thing that is, yeah. is frustrating. Like how much harder you have to, to work to do, and, and you still don't get the, the same level of respect. That's right. And that's like a systemic thing that needs to change in the whole sport. It's not a club level, right? Yeah, no, 100%. And, and I think Saracens um, particularly are, are leaders in that space of promoting their women's team and making sure that we have everything we could ever possibly need. Yeah. Um, but it, it's like the reason why there's not money in the sport is because the sport has only been promoted even on TV for like the last five years. You know, like we have, we're... 20, 30, 40 years behind other sports, um, and especially rugby that's been around for over 100 years, but women have only really been playing it for 30. It's kind of how it's it's really hard to accelerate that, that societal perception of the sport, and especially a sport that is so physical and seen as masculine. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of work to do. Yeah. So if we were to look at, and I'm not sure if either of us knows the answer to this, but if we were to look at where women's sport is now, how far back was a men's game? So, you know, when did things start to change in men's rugby? Because I guess there was a point where it was the same for the men's game, right? Um. In terms of professionalization, there's pro- there's probably there's comparisons we can make of where it's at. But in terms of the respect and perception, I think rugby has, to be honest, men's rugby was possibly celebrated and respected m- more 30, 40 years ago um, when you've got like sort of legends of the game and um, various about like packing out Wembley Stadium. Um, uh, for iconic sort of five nations fixtures as they were back in the day. Um, so rugby is sort of seen as a little bit of a posh boy sport at the moment. So I think there's there's a, there's a little bit of work to do in the, in the men's game in terms of respect there. But in terms of professionalisation, the game was professionalised in the 90s and it kind of happened overnight that they decided all these guys who were have jobs and also play rugby at elite level, we need to put money into it. We need to professionalise them because this is, considered elite sport so it should be their sole focus um and that happened in the 90s and since then anyone playing at the top end of the game it's been their full-time job yeah and we're sort of 
just at that tipping point of it happening. But because they, when that professionalization happened, there was a really positive level of respect and perception and people wanted to go and watch rugby. And there were thousands of people going and watching um, rugby in stadiums, especially across England and Wales at the time. To be able to sustain that financial input they need to put into the players happened quite not easily, but it was available. Whereas if every club in the country decided to professionalise all of their players right now, the game's not making the income it could make because we're fighting against the men's game for TV broadcast and and finances at clubs as they're playing paying their male players more. It's using up more of yeah. their of, of their um, amount of money they have to spend. Mm-hmm. Got it. So it's Got it. for that. Flo, what do you think needs to happen to balance the scales of power and privilege between men and women's rugby? I think uh, there's there's two ends of the scale that it needs to be to be balanced. So at the at the elite level, um, I think we need to carve our own space and trying to stop trying to be men's rugby and just be unashamedly women's rugby. Like we can grow grow our own audiences. I don't think we should be compared. It should be a version. Of rugby, and it's not the it's not the not the main one, but it's just it exists as as a version of rugby, as as the same way that men's rugby is a version of rugby. It shouldn't be seen as um, in, in competition with each other. Uh, they should be promoting it more than TV broadcasts. Um, it should be celebrated as icons equally, like anyone who's got right rights holders in the game. So. England Rugby, um, Welsh Rugby Union, Irish Rugby, Scottish Rugby should be promoting their players and their international players in exactly the same way on the same uh, on the same level of um, of, of celebration, and um, they should be seen as the same role models in the sense of they are leading their countries, rather than it's sort of like okay, we'll have three male, one woman kind of thing. It should be like no, make that equal equal prominence. Um, and then at the lower end of the scale, I think we need to stop sort of feeling like lucky to be there, like lucky that we've got a changing room, lucky that we've got kit, lucky that we've got a team. Like it should be seen as actually women's rugby is the biggest opportunity for local clubs to grow in the future. Do you want to double your database of of um, members in the next year? Okay, well, the quickest way you can do that is by growing your women's section. Yeah. This is the one that's got the most opportunity to grow and the most headroom to grow. So I think it needs to be seen as an opportunity at the grassroots level rather than a privilege to be there. And at the elite level, um, we need to start talking about the men's and the women's game as equal level of prominence um, rather than assuming male was the default. Great, thank you. So what are some things that our listeners can do in order to be great allies for women in sport? I think continuing is hard work, but continuing to challenge people. So if they say they're going to watch Chelsea on the weekend, ask questions like, oh, the men's or the women's team, just to remind people that Chelsea is men or women. It's not, oh, obviously you mean the men. Or um, I'm going to take my son to play rugby like oh why are you taking your daughter you know just keep challenging like you know like keep asking those questions of why would you assume the men and why would you not take 
your daughter to watch or play sport um and why would you only invite your male friends to go and watch sport like just keep asking those questions because the more we challenge it it breaks down the idea that that's the norm and that's the default um i also think just watch turning up watching it going to the games following the stories um becoming more invested in any way that we can like really helps helps the growth and um it increases the fan base which then increases the amount of people who want to play which then increases the amount of quality in the team um then you win more successful and then there's more money like there's there's like a whole cycle of growth that needs to happen sort of at at every level but i think what's i would love to see more of is people just continuing to challenge whenever we assume male default um because that's really frustrating and possibly the thing that goes unnoticed the most almost here like you know think about the sport you love playing in your young years and find mm-hmm. the women's team near you that's playing that sport and go watch it and... yeah yeah for sure like yeah yeah and it's it's a little bit hard to sort of find it at first because they're not promoted in the same way that the men's team are but yeah um, i think it's like a really pure experience watching in watching women's sport yeah cool thank you so Flo, again, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. I know, you know, with playing rugby and, and doing the job that you do, it's really hard for you to fit things in and, and I'm very grateful. Thank you very much for having me. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for joining us. Our intention is to bring you new insights about the impact of power, privilege and purpose at work for you and for your organization. You can check out our episode description for social media accounts and don't forget to send in your questions and you can send those to our email equitychampions at belongingpioneers.com. We look forward to sharing more about power, privilege and purpose at work with you on this podcast. Now, if you got value, please remember to share it with your networks. Please leave us a review. And as Cami said, please do remember to send us any questions that you'd like us to discuss on this podcast. And we'll see you next time. Next time. Bye.